welcome to NCBI Labs. So after a short break last week, we're uh, back with you again this week for live event number 40. Hopefully everybody's feeling a bit more optimistic with some of the restrictions lifting. Good to be able to travel around our own counties now and just nicely timed to enjoy some sunny weather as well, at least over here on the West Coast. Now on today's show, we're going to be returning to our What You Need to Know series. And we'll be talking about a subject that was raised just a few weeks ago. How to go about buying a new mobile phone. Do you have to go for a smartphone? And if you do go for a smartphone, what sort of factors should you consider? What does all the jargon mean? And how, how can you make sure that you aren't paying for more than what you actually need? Well, we'll be joined by the regular panel of JP Corcoran, Sean Dorn and Daniel Dunn to talk about that in about 10 minutes time or so. Later on in the show, we'll be talking to Bob Murphy in our Seeing It Your Way piece, and we're going to hear about his involvement in working with different access issues. So stick around for that a little bit later on as well. And of course, we're going to have our quick tips and tech help sections coming on the show a little bit later on as well. Just a reminder that for any feedback or questions throughout the show, you can get in touch with us at labs at ncbi.ie or using the question panel if you're connecting through Microsoft Teams. So plenty to look forward to on the show today, but let's kick off with our Meet the Team segment. And as you'll have noticed in the last few weeks, we've been extending the reach of this segment a little bit beyond the, the labs team and hearing a bit more about the different elements of the work that NCBI does. And this week we're delighted to be joined by Karen O'Connell, who works along with the children's team in NCBI. So you're very welcome to the show, Karen. You might need to just unmute there. Perfect. And it's great. Thanks, Jude. Good to have you with us on the show this week, Karen. So Karen, just before we talk about maybe some of your work along with the children's team, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how long you've been with NCBI? Yeah, I can. So I've I will be with NCBI two years in the summer um, and I'm based in the Tala office in Dublin. OK, very good. And um, you're working oh. along with the children's team at the moment. Was that kind of your was was there an element of that in your background before NCBI? Yeah, there was. So I studied in college early childhood education and child and family studies. So my background is kind of very young children. And I have clients who kind of worked for seven years in different preschools before I moved over to NCBI. OK, very good. OK, so that's always been kind of an interest of, of yours, that kind of work. Yeah, exactly. So we said that obviously you're working with the children's team now with NCBI. Can, can you tell us just a little bit about the, the general work of the children's team? Yeah, so the, the children's team work with children and young people from birth up to 23 years of age. And then within within that team, obviously there's a wide range of ages there. So we're split into sub teams of specialist areas. So we're split up into early years, primary school, secondary school, and then further education. So the needs would vary greatly at different ages and stages of the children and young people's lives. So each subgroup would organize interventions and workshops based on the need of their kind of cohort. So the kind of independent living skills, uh, orientation and mobility and a lot of peer support across kind of the whole team. That would be one yeah. of our focuses. Yeah, interesting. It, it makes a lot of sense as well that it would be broken up into 
to different kind of sub teams as well to to categorize the different needs a lot involved with that i'd say yeah yeah definitely um i mean because most of the team are crws community resource workers as well so they need to kind of you know manage their caseload and then work with their specific yeah. cohort as well yeah yeah and and in in among those kind of sub teams if you'd like the cohorts which one are you working with so i work with the early years team so the youngest so zero to six okay so so can you tell us a bit about about that what that involves yeah so um a huge part of my work is coordinating and delivering what we call learning through play groups and they're kind of relaxed informal groups for parents children with vision impairments and their siblings and they come and they we sing songs we read stories all kind of fun relaxed things but it's kind of the goal that parents can meet other parents who have children with vision impairments and we can show them how they can kind of support their child's development and to reach all their milestones with specific supports as they have a vision impairment. Very good. OK, and um, again, I'd say that's that's probably quite a, a varied thing when you're thinking about kind of trying to um, keep, you know, keep um, informed about the, the different milestones, how somebody is doing, how somebody's progressing and all of the different kind of uh, skills that you'd need in regards to that. I would imagine it is quite a varied thing, is that? It is definitely and like even within the early years um, there's a huge difference obviously between a baby and the milestones yeah, they're going to yeah. be reaching and then you know a six-year-old so it's kind of yeah it's, it's up to kind of myself and my team to stay up to date with kind of you know child development and make sure we're kind of you know always updating kind of our skills and we have the knowledge yeah. and it's to, to support the parents. Yeah very good can you can you give us a little bit of an idea maybe just talk us through one of the sessions that you might have so you were saying learning through through play yeah so what what might a typical session involve or how might it go okay so for like for example i have one this afternoon and it will be preschool children so it'll be two and a half to six year olds and we'll welcome them in with like a little hello song and we'll sing a few different songs the theme of today's session is feelings so we'll be trying to sing songs about feelings. I have a story, the grumpy monkey, which you know goes through um, the the body language and how he looks when he's upset, because often children, vision impairments can miss those visual cues. Yeah. So through the story and the songs, we're teaching them that you know we could like when people have sight that they can see, you know, when someone's smiling, when someone's folding their arms, you know. So we need to make children aware of these visual cues they might be missing in kind of a fun way yeah and then yeah, we'll play a few games like I might give them scenarios or like make some like crying noises laughing noises and try and get them to attach the correct feeling really interesting yeah, yeah yeah what what other sort of themes would would be involved in so if that's if the theme for today's one is feelings what what other kind of directions can you go with that sometimes they, they kind of vary greatly like I um one thing I tend to do is kind of pick a story and then base it around it so we might have say the hungry caterpillar and then the theme will be all about tasting and the mm. sense of taste or you know we might have the bear hunt and that will be more kind of orientation and mobility going over under around so they do vary kind of you can kind of take it in any kind of you know yeah, direction yeah yeah it sounds it sounds very interesting and uh, again a lot of thought that goes into making sure that each of those sessions really are helping people to you know achieve those 
I suppose as you're looking at the milestones, helping people to progress and develop and uh, in the way that you, you uh, would envisage. So as as you're doing all of that, how has the last year affected that kind of work? Yeah, so it's it's changed hugely since I began with NCBI. So all my workshops were face to face and I had them in Dublin and I was driving around the country and doing them in Cork, Sligo and yeah. um, lots of different countries, counties, but it's all gone online now and we use yeah. the, the Teams app. So it, it's changed completely. You know, it's, it's a virtual workshop now. All the parents log in from their own sitting rooms. Um, which is totally different and there has been kind of upside to that in that like without me moving around the country we're reaching much higher numbers yeah Um, our numbers would have been the highest in Dublin and the surrounding counties whereas now we're getting people from literally across the country which is amazing Brilliant. And also I'm not spending as much time driving so I feel I have more time to spend with service users which is great and the children yeah, and their yeah. families yeah um Obviously, there's downsides as well, you know, like technical problems and computers freezing. The children can't always see us on the screen, which is obviously a downside. Yeah, and yeah. Nothing really beats kind of being in the room face to face with someone and being able to give them that tactile kind of, you know, show yeah. the activities we're doing and stuff. But it's it's a very good second best. So, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Best of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's been the case across the board really there's been things that have remained challenges but there's also been some kind of unexpected benefits from from having to do work this way yeah. you mentioned before about um maybe for example the uh the idea of taste being one of the themes that you, you would use how how would something like that a theme like that be affected by having to do the work remotely well i suppose it puts um more of the onus on the parents so I would need to send out a plan and ask for the parents to have all the things they're going to be tasting. Whereas mm. previously, I suppose myself and my colleagues would have provided them ourselves. So if, if we were doing, for example, the Hungry Caterpillar, I would have all the fruits there. So it does kind of put a little bit more, I suppose, stress on the preparation and the parents that yeah. like I'd have to send them the plan and say, can you try and have these? If you don't have them, it's fine. You know, you can do them at another time. But yeah, it's it's much harder. To yeah, the, yeah. For the I'd, I'd imagine as well that's probably a, a sort of slight benefit as well in that I know you'd always be conscious anyway of making sure that the, the parents are very involved, but that that's nearly kind of another specific way that the parents can be more fully involved in, in those sessions as well, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. That's very true. Um, because, yeah, they, they're kind of preparing for them and then they're there obviously for the session as well. Yeah, yeah, so it sounds really interesting. Any particular projects or anything that's kind of ongoing project work at the moment? Yeah, well, um, just the time of year um, the summer kind of focus turns to um, transition and kind of transitioning workshops. So I'll be kind of looking at children who are going to primary school and going to preschool and I'll just be putting on kind of a few workshops and things to prepare them for that transition. Yeah. And I'm also part of a voice of the child working group and we have a project kind of coming along it's in the very early stages but we're hoping to um create a youth forum so that we have kind of you know maybe adolescents who can represent and advocate you know that their voices within ncbi yeah yeah so that, that's really interesting i think yeah very good interesting to hear the, the work that's been going on for the last 
kind of good while now as well since the um, age cohorts were being uh, implemented, but also the changes in the last year and that it's continuing to progress with these kind of ideas as well. Really interesting chatting to you today, Karen. Really appreciate you coming onto the show. Sorry, dude, sorry, I lost you there for a second. No problem. I was just saying it's it's been great to actually have a, a chance to chat to you today and hear about some of that work that's been going on and some of the kind of ideas for uh, for the future as well. Thank you very much for coming on to the show today. That's great. Thanks for having me. Very good. So that was Karen O'Connell joining us on this week's Meet the Team section, talking to us about some of the work that's being done with uh, the children young people's team. So really, really good to hear about those different initiatives that are going on there as well. So uh, uh, we'll look forward to another one of our Meet the Team segments uh, next week as well, where we, we can hear a little bit more about the, the wide variety of work that's going on with NCBI. Very good. Now let's move on to our, our next uh, section of the show. And we're going to talk about what you need to know about buying a new mobile phone. Now over the last year or so we've covered a, a lot of different assistive technologies that are available and one of the great things about the developments of the last few years is how easily available many of them are through just apps on a smartphone for example. So we've spoken about obviously the inbuilt accessibility features as well on Android and iOS devices. We've talked about excellent apps such as the Seeing AI app, Lazarillo, Be My Eyes, Google Lookout, Soundscape, plenty more as well over the last year or so uh, that you'd be able to review if you go back through some of our live events. There's been so many that have been based around uh, the, the smartphone, having a, an app for a smartphone. But when it comes to buying the hardware itself, the actual mobile phone that you use, what do you need to know about how to get the best one to suit your needs? Does it always have to be a smartphone, for example? Well, our panel of uh, Daniel Dunn, JP Corcoran and Sean Dorn are joining us today to talk about that. Uh, so the, the band is back together, you might say, for, for this one. Good to, good to have everyone here and hopefully we won't get into too much of a, an Android I, uh, iOS debate, but that'll come into it a little bit, I guess, in, in terms of some of the evaluations we make. But maybe just to start with, broadly speaking, in the intro that we've mentioned there, there's kind of the the two different categories, if you like. There's the smartphone and the non-smartphone. I don't think there's much need for any major explanation here, but basically what makes something a smartphone? Why would you call something a smartphone? Um, I suppose, Jude, uh, like the smartphone has kind of evolved, um, you know, with, with these apps and everything software designed, um, whereas the old phone was just typically just used for, you know, texting, phone calls, um, that kind of thing. And maybe with a game of Snake or something thrown in just to keep the interest going, you know, if you think back to the days of Nokia. So the, smart, yeah. the smartphone really has been built to take advantage of the data delivery. So yeah. we're gone from, you know, voice communication or even just text communication. Now, we're, now we're, uh, a lot of our communications is taken through taken through the internet and delivered to the handset. So uh, in, a, in a sense, that's what these smartphones are about. So everything that you can do, um, you know, from a laptop or a PC, you can do these on, on a smartphone. And in some cases, the features that are put on to, you know, the extra sensors and things that are put onto smartphones 
uh, means you can do a lot more than you can do with, um, you know, a computer or a, a laptop. You know, for example, you have your step counters and all these kind of things that are built into, you know, the cutting edge smartphones that are out there for your health monitoring. Um, so definitely, you know, it's, it's kind of took on the role of trying to do what a laptop and a computer did. And it's kind of diverged off down its own little path coming up with new innovative ideas. So yeah, I suppose yeah. that's where this, the smartphone is. Very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so just to kind of clarify with that as well, I suppose that a lot of the times you would see the, the phones with buttons, a lot of them wouldn't be smartphones and then you'd have a, a touchscreen phone and people kind of maybe equate it just purely with that. Can you get smartphones that have buttons? You can do that. There is smart smartphones that also have um, the, the, nine, the nine button and uh, keypad. Yeah. And uh, some of them still have touch screen screens also, yeah. and and some just have the keypad. So there's, there's to be limited functionality in terms of what you can do on the screen. You can still navigate throughout it, but there's often a, a slight trade off if you have a, a phone that depends on a on a keypad rather than a phone that can use both. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably handy to just to keep that in mind if people have have that as the cutoff point that if it has buttons, it's not a smartphone. It's not entirely strictly true because you can have you can have both. Now we're, we're going to get into kind of understanding some of the specs of smartphones and things like that in a minute. But before we do the non smartphones, what sort of features are available? Why might somebody choose to get a non smartphone, so to speak? Because uh, th they might be so comfortable and familiar with using their laptop and you know, like if you're a screen reader user or, you know, you use magnification, you might have a larger screen and anything you want to buy on the internet or apps you want to use or websites you want to, you, you want to, you know, have a look at, uh, you might feel more comfortable and using a laptop or computer. Or on the other hand, you might just want a phone purely just for ringing and texting. You don't want to have a, dis a distraction. Because yeah. I know like for, 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 for myself, like if, if, my, if my phone had, I'm tempted to go and Google something or look at something or, you know, play a two minute game and it's, you know, yeah. I have I've enough trouble keeping on track of, track of things without <laughs> more distractions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it helps you to keep the right work life balance almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, suppose yeah I, I suppose another thing too in some people's line of work, like they might want um, a good expensive smartphone in their pocket if they're out, you know, especially in outdoorsy or hard manual labor mm. work or anything like that. Mm. So uh, they can look or like for a, the, the basic <laughs> yeah yeah that's right like 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 the festival phone if you're going away for a, a yeah. weekend you, you you bring out the the cheap uh throwaway phone and yeah, yeah. You're good. your your expensive iphone 12 at home <laughs> absolutely yeah mm -hmm. and in terms of kind of technology for vision impairment um is there any advantages are there some phones that aren't necessarily smartphones but have an advantage for somebody with vision impairment well, like the, like having a keypad and having like the dot on the five, if you're just making calls, uh, like 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 a, like, a, like a Doro style phone, you can open the phone up, you can t type in the number by using the mm -hmm. keypad, and then you know the the dial button will also be you know clearly marked. So it's it's quite simple, it's quite intuitive, and like you know people have been using the keypads for such a long time, and they know the layout that it can be very very convenient. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, very good. And would there be any kind of examples you can give us of some of the types of phones that are available just as maybe not 
quite recommendations because obviously it's hard to recommend to people without knowing the specific needs, but just um, some of the things that are available that aren't smartphones necessarily. Well, I suppose like, um, you know, people in the past would have used Nokia's and then the, obviously the Nokia C5 with adding talks into it. Mm. But people still like, you know, maybe low vision users might use um, something like a Doro flip phone because it has slightly larger keypad and the keypad can speak back. But then you might you might struggle then to, you know, maybe if you want to get text messages or read text messages and something like the blind shell, which we discussed in the past is, you know, because mm. it has a screen reader built in, it's it's almost like a semi smartphone, like a feature phone. Yeah, it's kind of straddling between the uh, you know the two worlds. I know we spoke about Kai OS in the past, and that's a similar kind of concept. Yeah, okay. So there'd be a couple of kind of good suggestions for anybody who who wants buttons and keep it relatively basic. Um, yeah. Okay, there's a, there's a phone there as well, Jude. Um, the Smart Vision. Um, which is built on Android. It has what Sean was talking about earlier, kind of a touch screen as well as the the, the buttons. And mm. uh, you know, for someone that kind of wants the full Android but still wants the buttons, um, that's mm. a, that's quite a good option as well. Interesting, yeah, and that that's kind of good to to know as well because I think a lot of people will want the the functionality of both, but not necessarily the full functionality of having to have a. A full mm. touch screen, so it's it's useful to have a few options there. I think mm. probably the area that maybe confuses people a little bit more, or could be potentially confusing, is when it comes into smartphones because of, I suppose they they rely more on selling because of their specs as opposed to any particular feature they do very well. So it's kind of good for us maybe to have a, a chat about some of the specs. We'll we'll do that in a second, mm. but. Just when it comes to between kind of Apple and and uh, Android, we, we we won't separate out too much here. But generally speaking, if someone doesn't want to get too into the specs of a phone and doesn't want to have to worry about knowing it inside out, just wants to make sure they get one that will work for accessibility features and apps and things. Are there any current I Apple phones that wouldn't yeah. be able to handle that workload? There's a good few, uh, obviously, a Apple iPhones at the moment to, to choose from. Mm. Um, now, interesting, if, if you go back to when the first iPhone was was developed in 2007, and there was there was two decisions there when you, when you came to the iPhone. You could either go for an iPhone with four gigs of storage or an iPhone with eight gigs of storage. It was as simple as that. But mm. now, here we are, what is it, four, 14 years later, and there's, there's, I think there's about six to seven models currently available on the on the uh, Apple store. So there's much, much more to choose from. Um, Another thing that's interesting actually, I was reading recently is that there's now, uh, I think it was, uh, it was obviously Steve Jobs launched the, the first iPhone. Uh, current CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, announced recently that Apple has now sold its one billionth uh, iPhone. So that's a very popular, popular device. I think it's 1.6 billion Apple devices. So when you factor in the your iPads and MacBooks and so on, but uh, one billion iPhones have been sold now. It's a bit of a, a milestone for Apple. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know I know we've covered a lot of the accessibility features on the iPhone uh, in previous live events looking at some of the new ones as well and different enhancements that we've seen to the likes of voiceover with voiceover recognition and enhancements to the magnifier and ios 14 as well mm. but in terms of some of the key factors as well to kind of consider if someone is looking at an iphone you can mm. think, think of things like you know three or four things like screen size would be a big factor for some people who is low vision uh, memory so what's the what's the internal memory on, on the on the iphone is it it's, it's not expandable memory on the iphone there's no mm. opportunity to insert an sd card and um, camera quality can be another factor as well 
big variation in terms of camera quality between the different iPhone models, uh, processor speed, and of course the price as well. Yeah, so like yeah. What's, what's a person's budget? How much are, are you going to be willing to spend on the iPhone? Yeah. Um, might be helpful as well um, just to kind of explore like what are some of the models that are currently of iPhones that are available at the moment. So, so there's about seven there. If you go into the uh, Apple uh, store at the moment, you'll, you'll be able to choose some about seven models, a mixture of some uh, new phones and some models that are dating back to 2018. Um, I can just quickly kind of go through some of these options yeah. here. People are Please, interested. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the one, one model that came out last year that we covered as well on a live event was the iPhone SE. Uh, on the Apple store at the moment, it's looking at just under 500 euro, starting at 64 gigs. Uh, now it does go up if you want to have more memory. The screen size on the, on the iPhone SE, you're looking at a 4.7 inch screen. So if you're someone who wants a bigger screen size maybe, and looking for an iPhone, maybe the iPhone SE might be a little bit too small, but for a lot of people, absolutely fine. You know, it's a very, very good phone, yeah. really good spec. And that came out, let's say, April, April last year. Uh, if you're looking for a bigger screen size, uh, maybe something like the iPhone XR could be a fact, could be one to consider. It's a bit it's six over 600 euro, again mm -hmm. 64 gigs of, of eternal memory, and that came out actually 2018. It's a very very popular phone, and um, for maybe a little bit more a better spec again would be the iPhone 11. A little bit more expensive, it's over 700 euro, again starting off at 64 gigs of internal memory, but you can go up if you want. One of the big differences between the XOR then and SE and then the iPhone 11 is that the uh, 11 will have two rear cameras. So this will they work together to create kind of better images if you're taking photographs, if that's what you, you, something a big yeah. factor for you. Um, and then there's going on a few more models available as well. The iPhone 12 mini is available. It's, and the 12 mini is a 5.4 inch screen. It's just over 800 euro on the Apple store at the moment. Again, has two uh, rear cameras, but the chip is slightly improved. You have a better processor. It's an A14 bionic chip as opposed to the A13 on the 11, uh, iPhone 11. And that came out in the last year. Then there's the iPhone 12, uh, just under a thousand euro. So we're kind of getting into the more expensive iPhones yeah, yeah. now. Yeah, but a bigger screen size. We're looking at a 6.1 inch screen. Again, two rear cameras, uh, A14 Bionic chip. Um, and then there's two other models, the iPhone 12 Pro and the Pro Max. Now we're looking at over a thousand euro for these particular models. The Pro Max is a 6.7 inch screen. Pro is a 6.1 inch. These actually have three rear cameras. Uh, this has a lidar, uh, a lidar camera as well on the rear of the, of the iPhone. Um, interesting, we came across this one as well. We're talking about it in a recent live event. Lidar equipped phones. So lidar stands for light detection and arranging. So basically, what it is, it's a remote sensor on the back of your iPhone, and it uses sends out light pulses, and it can be used to measure a range of distances, range of like distances. So it's kind of the technology behind some of the self-driving cars that we're you know we're hearing about. Yeah. And what we've seen is that now this like now this is maybe not for everyone, but we've seen I say for for some of the apps like Seeing AI, there's there's a there's a new world channel that's been introduced. Which can be used to measure distances, say between a uh, person and objects in front of them, and, and give them information about their surroundings. So um, yeah, I mean that is uh, certainly the the higher end kind of iPhone, but uh, it's kind of it's a nice range of iPhones there that are available currently. Yeah, um, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it, it's yeah. interesting just as you go through that because yeah. I guess um, even if if you were to go to the most affordable end of the iPhone, and you're talking about maybe is it the iPhone SE would be the SE, yeah. most affordable. Uh -huh. You you most likely um, manage to run pretty much any of your 
uh, apps that we would be talking about yeah. generally without any issues but, on that, wouldn't you? Yeah, that, 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 that's one of the good, great advantages, actually, yeah, that you would be able to run and any of the accessibility features, if it's voiceover, if you're using Zoom, um, if you're using, you know, speak screen, any of the accessibility features mm -hmm. on iOS that you, you'll have them all on the SC. Uh, the only exceptions there that we went ran, ran through would be the the lidar equipped phone. So, say the iPhone 12 Pro and the Pro Max, which have yeah. the lidar sensor. But otherwise, all the other access, accessibility features will be share, shared. Yeah. Have on, on those iPhones. Yeah. So that's um, kind of interesting because yeah. when we talk about um, when we talk about various phones from time to time, we talk about Apple. There's not an Apple phone that you can buy, not a current Apple phone mm. that you can buy that will disappoint you when it comes to accessibility mm. features generally. And mm. it, it's maybe one of the, the, you know, the broad stroke uh, mm. tips that we might be able to give here a little bit is that if somebody isn't really into specs and things like that, and they are considering an mm. iPhone anyway, mm -hmm. there's not too much stress in terms of you're going to be disappointed here. That's you're going true. to spend your money, and it's not going to be able to yeah. to do what you need it to do. So that's quite that a true. consideration. Yeah, exactly. It is true. Better buy a secondhand one, Jude. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. True. Actually, maybe just we'll, we'll bring that in here. We'll we'll maybe come back to to this as well a little bit later. But just on that note, why would that be such a concern with this? Um, if you were talking about Apple iPhones, then. Yeah, I suppose it's not just limited to Apple iPhones, but um, there is there is a good bit of um, movement on the second-hand mobile phone market, and I think that one thing that most common people would say when they've bought a second-hand phone is the battery life in them, um, and they have been used in uh, batteries by their very nature. Uh, you know, manufacturers will tell you that you know a phone will have a thousand charge and discharge life cycle and the next thing the cells will start this into you know deteriorating quality so that means you'll find that your phone is not staying as charged as long as it should or did yeah. um but mm. that's natural um that's natural because of the batteries that are used in in phones and indeed laptops and many other and devices that we all use in our in our lives so mm. as it was from the point of view then that if you've bought a second hand smartphone and smartphones are notorious as well as for their consumption of power you know everybody who's even a brand new smartphone will you know most of the time will only get you through the day you know to the yeah. night and you put on the charge again um what you can find maybe with a second hand phone is come tea time you have to put it on the charge and then after a couple of months of that it's getting you just to lunch time and you have to give it yeah, a top up yeah. so that's yeah. i suppose a, a drawback um, yeah on the second hand mm. market and and something I guess you wouldn't really tell until you take it home and try it out. So it's kind of yeah, it's, a it's sort maybe of thing a bit of a hidden surface problem. maybe till a few months after, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm. You know, it is. it depends on the, the the amount of use a phone has got before it's got to your hands. Yeah, and yeah it, absolutely. You know how, how much pre-love it got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's just kind of get into that a little bit more then, because we we started talking about maybe battery life there, and and as we said as a kind of a very broad thing, a new iPhone, a current one that's being sold new in, in most places is going to do pretty much everything you need it to do. Where the specs really help is because of the broad variety of Android phones out there. Obviously, it helps us to know that as well with Apple phones. But if we really want to get into it, there's such a broad variety of Android phones out there that it's useful to, to know a bit more about some of the specs. So can we get into to that maybe a little bit. We talked about processors with laptops. Mm. What can you tell us about the processor of a, a smartphone, for example? What sort of information would somebody need to, to know about a processor? 
Well, well much much like a processor on a laptop, like you can check the speed. Uh, you know, if you if you have like you often hear people saying they have a an Android phone and the two or three apps open at once, and all of a sudden, you know, the phone seems like it's lagging a bit, or their, their screen reader mightn't be, you know, as responsive. And that's because much like, like we discussed about buying laptops, if you have a slower processor, it's, it's bottlenecking all the requests and therefore everything's going to seem slower. So you can check processor speeds on a phone and you can kind of roughly gauge and like the price you're buying, what type of processor it'll be. And like mm. Sna Snapdragon is probably the name of the most popular um, processor in mobile phones. And like there is a whole range of Snapdragon processors. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so can you give us a bit of an idea of if somebody's looking at a whole range of smartphones and they're looking at the processor details and specs, what would be, give us an example of a, maybe a quite a poor one against quite a, a strong one or how how they would go about kind of assessing that? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, like the Snapdragon in, um, let me just get the details here. So again, we're kind of talking, as Sean was mentioning there, the idea of a processor being like the, get the into brain of the core processors. You get into mm. multiple core processors, um, you know, which kind of can take on different, you know, separate processing functions maybe for different things you're doing. Um, yeah. So you might hear things like quad core, uh, octa core, these kind of mm. things. So there's, you know, obviously the more of those that's going on, the more power you've got in that phone. Now, this one probably come a point in time you know where depending much you're going depending much about using the phone for whether that's relevant or not um it's if somebody who likes playing games let's say on their phones well gosh they want the processor power because they want you know stuff is moving so fast on the screen they, they want their processor to be able to take care of it yes but, you know for somebody maybe that's just checking mid-air and weather um it doesn't matter whether it's a quad core octa core processor for that yeah very good Okay, so that kind of gives a bit of an indication. Mm. I, th I, th I think that <clears throat> that's one of the higher Snapdragon processors is the 888. Eight, eight. Mm. Very few phones, so then like you kind of average at 865, mm. and even below that, there, um, like with 845 processors, they're they're still actually quite good. You have to, it, you'll know, like when you sort of buy. Mm. The trouble when people buy Android phones is they might have went to like a, a store and might have paid like a, a hundred euro for an android phone mm. and it's going to have quite low specs and therefore it'll have a really low processor but if you kind mm. of spend roughly the same amount of money that you'd spend on on an apple device and and still cheaper like you, you'd get you get a great bargain with an android phone yeah very good like, a, like yeah. the things really the things to really look out for is like your ram so mm. okay like yeah a, so give, give us a bit of an idea of the ram then so as we were talking about um, in the past there with like Google Lockout, you need at least two gigabytes of RAM before you can use that app. Okay. So like two, two to four should be your minimum amount of RAM that you do need. And storage, I know it's kind of debatable and we, we can kind of get into it a bit. Like I would say like 128 gigabytes of storage on a phone is going to last you a long, long time. It's going to future proof your phone. Because often yeah. in the case, people might buy a 32 gigabyte uh, storage phone in a time like you know you've all your updates on it you have a few apps you have pictures you have messages people sending whatsapp videos that can fill up quite quickly and we, we all have like a friend or relation who has to constantly delete apps or you know remove pictures to kind of get to install something else or to get it have enough room for an update 
Yeah. So okay. if you give yourself 128 gigabytes, you'll have, you know, lots of space. And then in the future, you can always copy over, you know, extra photographs or videos to your laptop and then remove them from your phone. And I know like JP and that was mentioned there about expandable storage. So some Android phones have expandable storage options where you can put in an SD chip and then you can save your photos and videos to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So yeah. you've got kind of the option as well if there yeah. isn't. It's very much. handy. Um, yeah. Kind of the storage. I up. Mm -hmm. I changed my phone from Samsung Galaxy Seven to the A seventy one. There this mm -hmm. uh, Christmas. Sandy was good. Thanks. Very good. <laughs> Thanks very much. And I had all my photos and everything stored on um, on a one two on a one twenty eight gig SD card, and it was just a matter of taking out and putting into new phone. All my yeah. photos mm -hmm. come with it in one simple move. Uh, yeah. Um. You know, one nice thing, and you can actually instruct the phones. Then, you know, if you are out taking photographs, um, if you are out taking photographs and whatnot, and and you are, you know, snap happy, uh, it's good to know that the photos are going to store onto that, uh, you know, the SD card rather than sucking up the memory, the internal yeah. memory of the phone. Mm. Where, yeah. or ideally, it wants to be placed in your apps and things like that. It's quite interesting actually just having that option as well and just knowing that there is that possibility. It's not across mm. the board. And as I think JP mentioned earlier, mm. for Apple phones, you haven't really got that option at all, do you? Mm. No, it's, um, it's not, not an option on, on, on an Apple device, no. There's no option to, yeah. uh, to insert the SD card, just no expandable memory, Jude. No, that, yeah, that's, yeah, so. a, a, big, a big thing with the devices, Jude, is um, yeah. making them waterproof. So the more slots and things that can yeah. open on the device, the less mm -hmm. chance it's been waterproof. And it's a big selling point to have a high IP rating mm. or yes. uh, IP, uh, whatever the rating is, sorry, it's just escaping you now for, um, yeah, for, yeah. for, for, yeah. for waterproofness. And um, uh, if you take out your mm. SIM card slot, you notice there's a rubber grommet around it to kind of insulate it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if the more, the more chances, the more slots you have that, uh, more chance you know water can get you can get water ingress so a lot of companies are like wanting people to not use that and like maybe use cloud storage and you know save your your images and that to the cloud as a backup and then to keep your phone free so there's lots of different options like i, I personally will just every few months connect my phone to my computer like a usb key yeah. I'll go I'll go to the camera folder i'll copy all the images off it save it to my laptop and then i'll free up my phone and uh, no, it, it's quite easy. You can do that on both iPhone and Android phones. Yeah, 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 very good. So that gives you plenty of kind of options when it comes to storage. When you mentioned about um, 128 uh, gigs for for um, storage, mm. um, is that something that's kind of we can say that safely that pretty much even for a fairly heavy user, 128. It's, yeah, it's plenty. But w would you get away with less if you do it, less? It's 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 a catch. There's a little catch there too, I suppose, and just be aware of. And particularly, I'm I personally speaking, I'm very fond of you know you're out and about and you take about twenty four photographs because you took a, a walk down the road. Um, but the, the power, the megapixels of the cameras that are included in our yes. phones have really yeah. increased. So when you think of it that way, more megapixel in a photo means more space that photo is going to take up. So yes. while the while the memories of these phones have been increasing, so too has the size of each photo you're putting in there. So it's yeah, kind yeah. of a, do a dog chasing its tail kind of thing. Um, you know, so are you yeah. really getting more photos into a into a 128 gigabyte now than you were in a 32 gigabyte eight years ago or something like that? 
probably not. <laughs> you know, and it's uh, not always the case that that more megapixels is going to make actually a better photo, anyway, is it? I, I mean, no. I, I think I've got a, a phone that's probably the camera is the weakest part of it, but it's a sixty-four megapixel camera yeah. on it. But it's it's not a, a brilliant image that comes out of it. Yeah, so it's, it's, all, uh, it's all down to yeah. it's all down to the lens that's used and how the actual device processes the image. Because I know, like Samsung and Apple have quite good image processing, so they, you don't even need as good a lens or megapixel camera. Yeah, and they and they process the image image quite well. But then that's also down to taste, because some people you know don't like how a certain image is processed or how it changes the colors, and it's only very slightly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. It, it is it is kind of something you can factor in, but like when you are buying an Android phone, there is lots of things to weigh up. Um, like I said, is this how much RAM will I potentially need? How much storage will I potentially need? Uh, what screen size? And these all you know um, yeah. add to the price, or, or actually you know can make it cheaper if you don't need quite a large screen. You can go for a smaller device phone, and then it's. Android phones also have N NFC features, which are very useful. I use NFC quite a lot to pair certain headphones to my device, and I top up my Leap cards with with my phone because it has yeah. NFC. So it's, it, there are things I look out for when I'm getting a phone because I'm so used to using those features that when I go to a new phone, I want to make sure I have the same features. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, to make sure that you've got the same functionality as well, I guess. So just if somebody was looking at like a spec sheet here, um, and they they really were kind of they maybe have an idea of the concepts, but as you look at the spec sheet, you see all sorts of numbers and letters after them. Just this might kind of seem a little bit basic as well. But when when we talk about the processor, what are the letters that you'd normally see after the the number? I think we said the Snapdragon eight 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 or something earlier. What yeah. what do you normally see that would identify the processor number on on a spec sheet? Well, it's because. Um, you know, each mobile device might be using a different um, a, 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 a different, different yeah. measurement or a different company. So that we can't really go on like Snapdragon 836 or mm -hmm. whatever the name is, but we much like a laptop, we can find it the gigahertz of mm. yeah of a processor. And like it doesn't like it doesn't have to be as high as a laptop's one. Um, but like yes, Daniel yeah. said, if, if you have an octa core processor, if you basically eight cores doing the work, so they can all be a, a smaller amount, and the, uh, you know it's going to save battery power. But you know, with, with a mobile phone, you're looking at like maybe 1.4 to about you know two two to 2.4. Um, yeah, gig, yeah, gigahertz okay. in your speed, and it's not you know it's not overly essential if you have you know somewhere in the, in the middle of that there. Like you don't need to get the most expensive phone nearly like the liter engine of a car <laughs> exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting so is is that the, is that where you see ghz then if you're seeing that on a spec sheet is that what that's G talking about ghz yeah gigahertz yeah okay and so yeah go on as i said yeah so like like much like much like a car there you know it doesn't have to be the very fastest you don't have to get like a, a two a two point four gigahertz phone like you know 1.4 mm. would, would be fine in a phone and it also depends on what you're going to be doing. Like and um yeah. and then you'll often see things like um different types of screens like you know L C D, OLED, yeah. AMOLED, and um like LED is light emitting diode. So that's you know hundreds and hundreds of little lights in the background in, in kind of a grid making up the, the image. And yeah. with an OLED or an AMOLED. Uh, that's like um, an organic 
light emitting diode, an organic um, LED. And like they're actually quite unique in, in terms of they can actually switch off pixels. Mm. And then you get a, you get a true black screen. So in the past, if we see black on a television or, or a screen, it's actually those lights been dimmed and it's actually a gray color. Yeah, yeah. While now on these, these screens, it actually switches off those part of the screen. So you're actually getting a true black part of the screen, which is great for contrast. It's great for dark modes. Yes. Um, so yeah, you, yeah. You get it, it works really well, but on the on the flip side, then they can also be much brighter and much more intense on the eye. So, yeah. So someone who has glare issues might need to try out one of these screens first, and also mm -hmm. someone who benefits from high contrast might want to try out these these kind of OLED screens. And that's why like AMOLED is you'll find them on like the iPhone 12s now because it's their higher end screen. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I noticed like I got a phone with an OLED screen. I immediately noticed a difference in terms of yeah. uh, contrast and resolution yeah. and just text looking clearer. But I understand uh, that not the glare yeah. will. Yeah, and I was actually just thinking that when you were saying that, that obviously the contrast is one of the things that we kind of use when we're trying to get the most out of somebody's remaining vision as well. So it's it's actually maybe quite a, a useful thing to keep in mind. Um, somebody might think a screen is completely unimportant if there's if you're not going to be depending on how good the image is, but contrast is important. So so that can have a have a a certain amount of uh, relevance to it. Absolutely, and um, like that's why you have to. It's much like when you're buying a laptop. It's not it's not always the spec. Sometimes it is. It is the make and model that you know you can depend on this company to have done to put out a good product and you know you can get another phone which is the same specs and it just doesn't gel together as well yeah. like that's why research the specs what you need what's within your budget then find the name of a few phones that are within that there research them just yeah. look at reviews and like it's it's good to note uh, it's important to note that when people are doing reviews for products they don't often run out to write a good review so even if even if there is one or two bad ones, it doesn't always mean that the product is bad. Yes, yeah. People are more eager to to put up a review if they're disappointed with something. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That actually moves us on nicely to kind of the next part of this discussion is is just, you know, around the kind of de deals that you might get, or if you're if you're if you've got a certain budget but you need a, a fairly decent phone. Um you mentioned there, Sean, the idea of just Doing your research, checking into phones, seeing the reviews, seeing the specs, and things like that. Can you can you tell us any any more about any kind of deals that you can get, or is there any any phones that have caught your eye, for example, or or um, do, does it always have to be a contract phone, for example? No, like some like sometimes like I I I I'd be in a contract, but sometimes I'd buy a phone outside of it, mm. so I don't have to extend the contract, and therefore. My phone is, you know, open to any network. If I do change, I can bring that phone which I prefer with me. I yes. don't have to, you know, unlock it if I'm not with the, that contract for so many months. Mm. And if a phone I have been looking at, which I do think is a good priced phone, is OnePlus is a, a Chinese company that makes um, smart Android phones uh, competitively. And they have a budget model called the OnePlus Nord. So that's N-O-R-D. Mm. And like for you get eight gigabytes of RAM, 128 uh, gigabytes of storage. It's a 6.4 inch screen. And I think that's 409 euro altogether. Very good. And, yeah. yeah. And you can you can upgrade that if you wanted to and get 
12 gigabytes of RAM in your phone and 250 gigabytes of storage, that OnePlus Nord would then cost 509 euro. Yes. Uh, and like I, I use a OnePlus phone myself and I just think they're fantastic. You get lots of updates on them and mm. uh, we get the latest Android on them most years. I know like some Android phones don't provide constant updates. Like you might, you might have Android 10 on it, but when 11 comes out, that manufacturer might not release 11 on that phone. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that we didn't mention there um, was just in, in terms of battery life. I know we talked about battery life when you're maybe getting a, a secondhand phone, it's something to watch out for. Again, if, if somebody was sort of just looking at a spec sheet or they're seeing some something advertised and that there's something in relation to battery life, but you're kind of looking at what, what does this number or these letters mean? How is it normally kind of put up on a, a website or how is it normally advertised? What's a good number to have, for example? So that, that's entirely like it's a kind of debatable as well. Like you mm. normally get milliamp hours or milli-hours in, in batteries. And the so side, MAH, the, is, it, is that the yeah. one that's MAH? Yeah. 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 And like they, they will come like you can get you know, 800, 900, 1200, depending on, on the phone. Mm. But, but like, um, it, do, like it it's hard to, you can give a battery spec, but then you can have a much larger screen, which drains the battery much quicker. You could have your Bluetooth on the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You could be listening to earphones, you could be streaming uh, music from Spotify. So it, it, it can be hard to gauge how much you would use. Yes, yeah. Or the refresh rate even can can uh, affect it a bit yeah, as well, can't it? Even down to the type of screen, like the AMOLED screens will use less battery power because, as mm. Sean alluded to earlier, that type of screen is not going to be uh, synthesizing a charcoal black. It's going to switch off those pixels, so obviously you're saving power there. Yeah. So there is, there's lots of moving parts when it comes to saying, right, well, you know, the battery that's coming with this phone, how long is it going to last me? It's really unmeasurable, I guess, because... Yes, yeah. It's going to be down to what you're using for what extra activities is going on, and again like, the screen. You yeah. you can like you can search the brand and model of the phone online, and it'll tell you how many milliamp hours it is, and that could be like I said, two thousand, three thousand, eight hundred, depending on which phone it is, and yeah. they'll give an estimated time that that will last you, like whether that's twelve hours, sixteen hours, but that's normally standby mode. It doesn't always count. Um, if you're watching videos yeah. or you're playing music and that's why yeah yeah after two or three months when a phone comes out it's good to watch youtube reviews then because the yes. pe people who reviewed technology like that will give you what they've used it for playing videos yeah. their daily and like youtube's a, an, an endless resource of reviews so if you if you review a brand new product it's all the bells and whistles and you know you don't always get battery but if you wait a month or two or even like, you know, even six months later with a phone and you're watching reviews, new reviews, then they'll tell you how much they're getting out of it and what they're using yeah, it for. Yeah. And how and much some, the drop off is, I guess, over a, yeah. a period of time. Yeah. Often, often the advertisement will be, you know, like you'll have up to four to five hours talk time and up to 36 mm. hours standby time. Yeah. Um, but the key thing about it is up to <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that's to get out a jail yeah. card for yeah or um you get 20 minutes batteries. and it's it's still up to four hours yeah. <laughs> but look i suppose i suppose yeah. the main thing to 
to say is like battery development um you know again like the dog chasing his tail but the camera with the camera is getting better in the storage space of the photos taking up more yes as these yeah. as these smartphones get like the battery technology is constantly being improved com compared to what we've had 10 years ago but yet we still really can't get more of a day out of our phone why is yes, that yeah. because the power of our phone is getting stronger um you know the power the processing power and the functionalities of our phone is getting stronger and it's it is demanding a bit more energy yeah. and that is sapping the progress of the battery technology yeah so yeah. if i remove while the battery you know the batteries have improved to say oh, well if you could take today's battery and put it into a smartphone from 10 years ago you might get three days over but the phones yeah, have yeah. progressed so much it's eaten up Absolutely, any yeah. progression and that's um, quite a good tip i guess in general as well that if somebody for example if somebody's going to go for one that's a, a good camera you want to make sure you've got good storage and if you're going to go for something that's you know got an amazing screen big screen got all of the you know, it's got really high spec in every other area. You want to also make sure you've got high spec in a battery because it, mm. it won't cope with anything if you're if you've got a low spec mm. battery but high spec everything else. And yeah. just to note there, Jude, like on 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 your Android phone, you can go to settings and go into the battery, and it'll tell you which apps are using the battery mm. most. Yeah, and you know which is draining it. Like you, you might have Spotify running in the background, or you might have, uh, you know, like a weather app that's constantly updating. Yes, and yeah, may yeah. maybe you can switch that app off and just check that when you want to, rather than constantly running in the background. So, going into your battery will let you check things like that on on Android. Yeah, very yeah, good. It's, it's kind of like yeah. some of those um, permissions. Um, when when you set up an app for the first time, you know, do you want this? Do you want to let this app um, access your device location? And I noticed lately that you're getting a third option. It used to be simple, uh, straightforward, yes or no. But now there's one there only while I'm using the app, which is quite good because yeah. that means when you exit out of that app, it's it's not hogging on the GPS uh, sensor that's in your phone. So that these are good improvements that the manufacturer, you know, that the software uh, guys are bringing in on these phones. And as well as one more thing about the battery is that certain models of phones um, will, you know, you can actually take the battery out and and replace it. So yes. you know, if you were if you were maybe going not getting into a contract and you said right i'm going to go on and just buy my phone outright it's a very big investment and yeah. um, you know maybe if you find after two and a half years because you're a heavy user that the battery you know is no good anymore um it might be you know at the time of purchase might be saying well in two and a half years time if i want to replace the battery can i get a replacement battery and pop yeah. it into my phone mm -hmm. and that's a that's another good thing maybe to to consider when buying yeah. a new phone yeah, very good. Well, there's been plenty of tips all the way through that. I think it's it's been really informative just to have that discussion and just to kind of see what's the important factors to take into account as well when it comes to buying a new mobile phone. So appreciate that, uh, JP and Daniel and Sean. Appreciate the comments all through that. And uh, if anybody has any questions, of course, about that, they can always get in touch with your local labs uh, trainer or you can contact us at labs at ncbi.ie as well and uh, if there's more demand for it as well we can always kind of revisit that on a future show as well so uh, really interesting informative part there on our live event this week but now we're going to move into uh, our seeing it your way piece and this week we're going to hear from bob murphy so let's listen to seeing it your way so this week we're delighted to have with us bob murphy on our seeing it your way piece you're very welcome bob thanks very much joe Great to have you on the show. So, Bob, tell us a little bit about 
your history of sight loss, your experience of sight loss? Well, I, I'm one of the older fraternity, I suppose, Jude, and um, way back in the day, I was sort of classified as having a lazy eye and all that sort of jazz. But uh, I went through ordinary main school and uh, I went over to England then to go to college. And at that stage, my eyesight started to uh, deteriorate enough. And uh, I had been working on the buildings as a trainee structural engineer. And lucky enough, I ended up scraping through college uh, and qualifying as an engineer at the end of the day. But it was a serious struggle with my eyesight problem. Yeah. But uh, it was shortly after that that uh, I got RP and uh, I actually ended up going to uh, training centre in Torquay, a rehabilitation centre for the RNIV. Yeah. And uh, at that stage, I was gone totally blind. And uh, the RNIV, fair play to them, they offered me a job selling cigarettes from a cigarette kiosk. Right. In the centre yeah. of, of London. Imagine a blind person. Yeah, doing that. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, wow. that, that was a long time ago. It was over for yeah, years yeah. Ago. So, my goodness. So, when when you were um, in school, you were saying you went to mainstream school. Was there any kind of sign of your your eyesight starting to deteriorate at that point, or was it pretty much okay throughout school? I know it was going all right because I was wearing glasses, and mm. as I said, there they give you the one. Uh, where you had to put the patch over one eye, so you use the other eye, all that, all sorts yeah. of uh, stuff that not that I'd ever done. I got actually, it wasn't until I went over to London, uh, uh, it was about 18 or 19 when in, I went into Murphy's Eye Hospital and I was there that they, they diagnosed the RP, right. Gotcha. Yeah. And and when you said afterwards that you, you lost your sight in, entirely, is that uh, to the point of not being able to see light at this stage? Is it, yeah. is it kind of gone yeah. entirely? OK. Yeah. OK. So that's been obviously quite a quite a while dealing with that then. So what what kind of happened after that? How did you how did you deal with that or cope with that? How did it affect you? Well, I hung around in, in London for a few years, but uh, there was nothing coming up work-wise or anything. So I decided I'd come back to Wexford, where I come from originally. And uh, uh, I got in contact then with a woman up in Dublin with the National Rehabilitation Board, Mrs. Gaysford. And uh, she insisted on us learning Braille. The, the, things just developed from there and, and it was more of a matter of getting a job rather than uh, hanging around waiting for an opening in to get into computers. So I ended up doing uh, the old uh, reliable that they had and still have uh, the telephony. Yeah. So I ended up going up to uh, the Bank of Ireland in Dublin and I worked up there for about a year, year and a half. And then I was fed up in Dublin after doing London for so many years blind and now trying to do Dublin blind. I thought, the hell with this, there's a better life. So yeah. I ended up getting a job with Revenue in Sligo. Right. <coughs> and that that's kind of what brought you over that side of the country then? Well, it and, and a woman. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that tends to change things. Yeah. All, man. Yeah, it tends to change things. All right. So tell me something, Bob. You, I think you, you've had kind of dealings with NCBI going, going way back, some involvement with NCBI. Tell us a bit about that. Well, way back around that time, and I mean, we're talking over 40 years ago, Jude. Yeah. Uh, the uh, NCBI actually ran a computer course up there. Uh, we're going back to the DOS days. They were, I think it was called Horizon or something like that. And there was a few of us brought in on it. And uh, they taught us the basics of uh, computing. Yeah. And uh, I done that when I started working down here in Sligo with the um, with Revenue. And I happened to be up at a Revenue presentation up in Dublin in the castle. And I met the chairman of Revenue. And uh, he said he'd look after me with the technology and the stuff in Sligo uh, to see if I could incorporate it into my work. Yeah. Which I was delighted about. And I remember it was a Christmas and I thought, God, God, that'd be great. Now, and early in January, lo and behold, Hal and all the rest of the buddies arrived down in the box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And from there on, that was my first real delve into uh, computers and I loved it and yeah. I, I got the switchboard working with the computer you know with the help from the technicians out of uh, Aircom and we had everything going so nice I could work the computer do my list everything else and answer the phone and all through the one set the one headphone like you know it was great to get all that yeah. you know rather than trying to walk a phone in one hand and a keyboard at the other yeah so, yeah great yeah and i'd say to be honest that it probably meant that actually at the point that you got um into technology and and accessibility technology as well it kind of gives you a pretty good broad overview of all of the stages of development of accessible technology. I'd say there's been a few things over the years that have made quite a big difference to you. Oh God, and and and, and up to today. But anyway, back in them days, I was the, the old DOS and Windows was only coming out and we started off then with Window Bridge was the one that we had to learn. And it wasn't great, but uh, it was better than nothing. Mm. And uh, I progressed along nicely then uh, where, uh, the, the the windows started getting better, the technology started getting better, and then JAWS arrived on the scene. And uh, of course, when you heard JAWS, what the hell is this? Yeah. No, only for, I suppose, the situation that I was in working with Revenue, they supplied JAWS and it was great. And then I yeah, got yeah. a bit of training. And of course, one thing led to another and we're up to where we are now, really, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now oh, that, that yeah, now that hasn't been your your kind of only involvement, I suppose. Hasn't been just to do with your own needs in terms of technology. You you were involved in kind of helping others in that regard as well. Tell us a bit about that, Bob. Well, back in 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 the early stages in revenue, there I I ended up uh, the rehab uh, rehabilitation unit was in Sligo, and I used to train the girls and lads that were over there in the rehab unit on the switchboard in, in Sligo. So that I gave them a basic introduction to what was expected of them when they went out into the wide world into doing their telephony. And there's a lot of them around there still that would remember me from that. And 
I was very much involved in access and I actually set up a Sligo access committee here uh, in Sligo and uh, we were uh, represented, I was there representative on the, the consultative group with the health board. Yes. And at one of those uh, meetings, I actually, the chairman of the health board here in the Northwest, as it was that time, uh, took me to one side and said he'd have a chat with me. And uh, mm. and I t- talked no more of it. And a couple of weeks later, he came over to me actually at the Swiss board in my office. And we he sat down and we had a good chat for about half an hour. And after that, he sort of said, well, would you think of coming to work with us and see if you can sort some of it out? Mm. And I said, well, I think about it. And when I thought more about it and I seen the opportunities that were there, I jumped at it. I said, great. Very good. And, but this was involving people with disabilities, not just blind. It was uh, all types of disabilities, physical uh, uh, as well as sensory. And yeah, uh, yeah. I went off anyway and we got set up and he gave me one of his senior managers who happened to have a son with a disability. And uh, he was very interested in getting this unit off of the ground. We, 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 we ended up setting up in, uh, the, the unit in, in, in Saigo, uh, but we were covering all of the Northwest, which is a massive big area, Donegal and uh, included. And uh, I got another technician on with me who was sighted because uh, a blind person couldn't do all this work on his own. He certainly needed a sighted person and in particular with physical disabilities. Mm. And actually the person I got involved <coughs> had a son who, who, who was uh, physically disabled as well. So mm. we were all sort of on the one page wanting to do the best we could with what we had for, for people with disabilities. Interesting, yeah. So you've always been kind of one to try and make make things a little bit better for, for other people in a similar situation. I'd say that the whole thing okay. of having the multiple kind of uh, aspects to it, the different sort of disabilities, the different uh, conditions that would have affected people, that must have made the, the whole thing both quite interesting and quite challenging as well, was it? Well, it did because we actually got involved with the Central Remedial Clinic in Dublin and uh, they had set up uh, uh, a course in UCD that we were uh, sort of uh, requested to do uh, around uh, access, uh, accessibility with technology for, for, you know, for physical and sensory disability. Like it was grand, I had a fair computer computer knowledge at that time, but I didn't know all of the other side of the coin, the wheelchair, uh, driving wheelchair without hands, you know, all these type of things, people Mm -hmm. with motor neuron disease who had no sort of hand coordinate. The only thing they had was eye coordination, eye gaze came in on the scene. There's a lot. It was brilliant stuff. And as well as that, then rather than us trying to go running around the country to up and down to Dublin, we set up, it uh, would have been the initial like uh, set up of um, video conferencing. And it was more sort of done on a medical yeah. video conference set up that we had in the unit. 
and mm-hmm. we were we were able to bring our clients in 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 Sligo and do an assessment with them up with another conference unit up in Dublin in in uh, the CRC, and it worked out brilliant. So people didn't have to be dragged from Sligo up to Dublin, you know. Brilliant, yeah, and yeah, that was brilliant. That was way now back, and look at what we've got now with the technology. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> everybody's using it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting actually just to hear those different elements of how technology was kind of very much involved in all of those stages of the setup. It was not just the the kind of the goal, but it was actually a means of of getting there as well. You were using video conferencing, as you say, even yeah. at that point. Maybe just kind of coming back to yourself again. Um, so at this point, you you mentioned earlier. That there's been a lot of different technology that's made a, a big difference in your life. At this point, what sort of technology would you say you use quite a lot, or that you've been impressed by in the last number of years? Uh, the only thing that I really need now at the moment is the iPhone. Really? Yeah. And why is that? Why why is that such a, a good thing for you? Well, I can do everything that I want to do on it, and and the apps and everything else. I mean. God, if we had something like an iPhone 30 years ago, where would you be, you know, yeah, you think yeah, about yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, all this modern technology only came out near uh, as I was getting older. But uh, when I loved to have had this stuff when I was 20 or 21, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how do you manage them with like, so let's say you're you're doing up, emails or something do you use um voice composition or do you type it out using a bluetooth keyboard or how do you do it no i i i use my voice uh yeah i'm fairly fairly accurate at it the more you do it the better it gets yeah yeah well i haven't said that no i'd still use a computer if i was doing something uh uh, that a lot of typing was involved in or something like that i i I'd use a computer and jaws yeah yeah I, I always found <clears throat> it was handy to, to, to keep in in uh, keep the old computer going anyway because the keyboard skills never left you and uh, I was fairly handy at the keyboard so I was all right there. Yeah. Uh, the only trouble is now that the old memory is gone. <laughs> <laughs> that can be a bit of a challenge, I'd say, with the keyboard. Trying to remember all the keystrokes. Is the yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I know the the iPhone. I'd say now is probably the the the, the best. And sure, even television now with the audio description, although it's very uh, bare, there's not that much of it out there. Very meager sort of. Uh, but uh, if they got the old audio description going now a bit more, it'd be great on the television. And sure, you can talk to your control now and the television goes on to the channel you want to show where would you be going you don't have to get up out of the chair to turn up the volume or anything anymore that's it yeah do you know there's there's kind of i think there's developments kind of coming in that that regard as well i think there's a bit of work going into stuff like that at the moment uh yeah so there should be but going back down just thinking back there when i was talking about the video conference and thing if you see the size of the television that we had to have there for that (laughs) Uh, a projector hanging out at the ceiling and a camera up behind you or <laughs> ISDN lines to run it. Yes, and yeah. That, that's compa- And you can do that with a phone in your hand now. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't 
yeah the developments have been incredible well bob it's been brilliant to to talk to you and to to get a little bit of uh insight into the uh the development of the technology that you've used but also your own hand in that as well and helping others with that as well it's been great to chat to you bob thanks for joining us on the show no problem good luck to you very good. So that was Bob Murphy on this week's Seeing It Your Way piece. And that brings us nearly to the to the end of our show this week. Just uh, very quickly time for um, our tech help and, and quick tips section. Now, our tech help, actually, we've kind of covered already because the question that came in this week uh, was in relation to is it worth buying refurbished phones and what what should uh, what should I look out for if I'm buying a refurbished phone? Well, we covered that in our discussion a little bit earlier. But in terms of our, our quick tips, maybe um, JP, I believe you have a, a quick tip for us this week in relation to navigating tables with voiceover. I do indeed, Judy. I have a quick tip as relates to how we can change the way voiceover will read tables on an iPhone or on an iPad. So we had a query in uh, just during the week from someone who was reading our, our weekly technology newsletter. They were finding that voiceover would read, for example, row one, column one, and so on whenever they were reading contents in a table uh, on their iPhone. But we can what we can do is we can change this by going into what's called the table output settings for voiceover on an iPhone or on an iPad. And to do this, we need to head to the settings app on an iPhone or the iPad, and we go into voiceover, go into verbosity, and then under table output, we need to deselect row and column numbers. Now you might find it's already, uh, it's not selected already, in which case you wouldn't hear it this information, but if, it is, if you do hear this information when you come across the table, row one, column one, and so on, and you don't want it, you say go into your settings app, voiceover, verbosity, under table output, table output, just deselect row and column numbers. So when this is done, whenever you encounter a table with voiceover, it'll read out the content but in the table, but it won't relate, for example, that row one, column one, and row two, okay. column two, et cetera. Um, we're going to be including these steps as well on, on how to do this in our technology news that are going out this Friday, in case uh, you want to check it out there as well. Ah, brilliant, very good. So if anybody okay. wants to review that, they'll be able to check that in the newsletter. Thanks very much for that, JP. No worries, okay, dude. And uh, that just about brings us to the end of the show. Just a reminder again, of course, that if you want a bit more of a hand with any of the subjects we spoke about today, you can get support from the labs team from nine to five, Monday to Friday on 1850-923060, or you can email labs at ncbi.ie, or if you want to avail of wider NCBI services, you can call 1850-334353 or email info at ncbi.ie. And if you'd like to make a donation to support our services, you can also visit donate.ncbi.ie. Maybe you'd even like to sponsor one of our live events. Well, you can do that as well by contacting labs at ncbi.ie, and that can just help to keep our live events going as well. So just before we go, just a reminder of what we'll be talking about in our future live events. We will be talking about our Sky accessibility features. We flagged that a few times now. That's coming up probably in two weeks time. Uh, we'll be talking about that and uh, also some of the other devices for making TVs a bit more accessible as well. We'll be talking about that uh, just in a couple of weeks time. We're also going to talk about the work that's going on in educational institutions, the research that's involved in coming up with new concepts for assistive technology, for example, the inclusion of accessibility considerations into some of the syllabus of uh, different uh, courses as well. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more next week. And uh, just a reminder that our show next week, uh, 
2.30 p.m. the usual time, of course, so that's Tuesday, April 20th for our next uh, NCBI Labs live event. And if you want to stay up to date with what's happening in our live events, as well as plenty more, you can subscribe to our newsletter on our website or you can email us at labs at ncbi.ie if you'd like to do that as well. And as JP mentioned there, there's quick tips in there as well uh, if you want to review those too. So all that's left for me to do today is to thank our guests today, Karen O'Connell and uh, Bob Murphy. And of course, thanks to everyone listening in as well. And from JP, Sean, Daniel and myself, goodbye for now. And we look forward to having you all back with us next week for another NCBI Labs live event. <laughs>